So last Sunday, Vicky and I went and ran a couple errands in the afternoon. And we decided after we ran our errands that, what a great day, let's go for a drive. You know how sometimes you get in that situation where you're just so done with going all your normal routes, you want to go somewhere else. And so we went for a little drive, just a little bit west of town. We found ourselves at the entrance to Jubilee State Park. I've lived here six and a half years. I've been meaning to go to Jubilee State Park. And that was the first time we went into it. I, I loved it. I, I was overwhelmed by it. It was just, I couldn't believe that such a great park should be so close. I noticed that the road through reaches this one spot where it crosses the Jubilee Creek. And that the road itself is built as a spillway so that if the waters are too high, that they anticipate it will be a roadblock. You can't get all the way through the park if the water's too high. And I was thinking about this this past week as I was working on some of the words we were going to have for us today. And it brought up to my mind this idea of, well, that road would not be the only roadblock for Jubilee State Park for me. You see, over the past six and a half years, I've allowed so many obstacles to get in my way uh, so that I didn't end up there. I, the park is too close and too far away. You know, it's that kind of too close to where, how can it be any good? It's so close. It really can't. I, I've heard of Starbrock. I've been up there. That's farther away. It's got to be better than Jubilee State Park. Or maybe it's too far away because I've been to Robinson Park and I've hiked there and I've been to Detweiler Park and I've hiked there. I've hiked around different places in Peoria and so maybe that's just not in my usual driving paths. Those were some roadblocks. Time. I can make time to go to Starved Rock because I go, that's going to be about a good four or five hours total if I want to spend some time up there and I'll set that time aside. But who really has time for a a 15-minute drive and, and then an hour walk and coming. It just doesn't fit in. And, and I had these pre preconceived notions that, you know, it's probably just a bunch of shrubs. And who wants to go see a bunch of shrubs? Boy, was I wrong. I'm so glad, finally, we overcame all the obstacles and got to enjoy it. So roadblocks. Roadblocks. We happen to have a passage before us today that has potential roadblocks to devotion for the main character, one of the main characters of the story. So if you would, please, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles. We're in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We'll be in verses 24 through 30. Uh, hear the word of God. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately... A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. May God bless the reading of his word. And may God bless our time together as well. Okay, so 
there's something about Mark's gospel that I really enjoy. And it, there's a bunch of things. But one of the things is that he uses this word that we translate as immediately, and he uses it quite often. And, and there's this sense of that Mark has this pace to his writing, that, that come on, let's get at it. Immediately this happened. Immediately. We even had it in our text that it, immediately she came in and, and fell at his feet. So I thought for our time today that we would kind of take the same approach, this sense of let's get on with it. So I have seven quicks for us. We're going to get through each of these quicks very quickly. Let's do the first one. A quick review of the story. A quick review of the story. Do you know the story has seven parts to it? It's really laid out quite nicely. First, Jesus attempts to get some rest to go beyond the borders of Galilee, to go, go beyond the borders of God's domain, God's people's domain, and, and to go into the, the region of Tyre and Sidon. We're not told that he actually goes to Tyre or to Sidon. He goes into the region. He goes into Phoenicia. You know, just to give you a little bit of perspective on that, if you were to walk from here to Kiwani, it would be about 40 miles now, if you were to walk the similar direction from the north shore of the Sea of Galilee up towards Sidon, it would be about 35 miles. Only Tyre happens to be on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, which is a little different than Kiwani, just a little bit. The second part of the story is that Jesus goes into a, into a house and he, and he temp, attempts to make his uh, presence there unknown. He wants to remain a secret in the land. But his reputation precedes him, and a woman comes and falls at his feet and begs him for a healing of her daughter. Jesus then answers her with a parable. A parable. This is the center part of the story. This is where we've been aiming toward, toward the word of Jesus, this parable. It all balances on the words that he shares with her. Then the fifth part of the story, the woman responds by building on Jesus' parable. Jesus then sends her away with assurance, because of her answer, with assurance that her daughter has been healed, that the demon has left the daughter. And then the woman, the final part is that the woman goes home and finds her little girl lying on the bed and the demon gone. A quick review of the story. So that brings us to a, a quick mention of the theological significance of this passage. I'm sure you've probably been to an art museum before. And art museums are often built uh, with many rooms inside of them. And when you walk into a particular room, I have found, at least for me, maybe it's the same for you, that you, you see these giant, giant paintings. They grab your attention right away. You walk in and you see these massive, massive paintings. In this passage, there are some massive theological uh, pictures taking place, uh, perspectives being provided. There is a harmatological perspective being provided. Harmatology is the study of sin. It asks questions like, what defiles a person? What makes someone unclean, unrighteous, unacceptable to God? In Mark 7, the question of defilement is front and center. It begins at the beginning of Mark 7 where the Pharisees and some scribes come to Jesus and they're all concerned about the way that his disciples don't wash themselves. And Jesus gets after them that, listen, you're more focused on your traditions than on God's commandments, on God's heart. And he calls them out. And even when he follows up and talks with his, 
his disciples, he says, uh, he teaches them about defilement. We could come to this, this passage and, and talk about the whole issue of harmatology, of what defiles a person. We could look in this passage from a soteriological perspective. Soteriology is the study of salvation, the, um, the, the saving work of God. We could ask questions like, who can be saved? What saves a person? We have this encounter between Jesus and a Syrophoenician woman. And we could bring up the question of, of how does salvation happen here? Is salvation even intended to happen here? We could come at this passage from a missiological perspective. Missiology is the study of mission. For whom does the Messiah come? What is, it, what is the call to go beyond the, the, the borders of what is comfort, comfortable and known and to go to the nations with the good news of Jesus? Yet if you've been to a museum and you've gone into one of those rooms and if you've seen those big portraits, oftentimes you can find some of the smaller paintings right next to them that are just incredible, that, that provide just just a, a sense of beauty, or they grab, grasp your attention. And so here it is, that in addition to harmatology or soteriology or missiology, we have a very small picture of devotion, a devotional perspective. A, a devotional perspective not to be missed. What do we learn from this very personal encounter between this woman in Jesus Christ. So then, let's take a quick, let's make a quick investigation of the roadblocks that are present. Roadblocks to devotion. If we're going to look at devotion, if we're going to look at this little picture, one of the things we notice is that, that, that we're not sure if this devotion is going to happen at all. One of the roadblocks we see right away is that Jesus is seeking rest. Which means that, that there's this roadblock, this obstacle of cross purposes. Jesus is there, there to, to be with his disciples, to be away from where the Pharisees and the scribes were, were getting after him and all the people were demanding of things of him. And We could possibly put it this way. What Jesus um, intended for rest, God intended for something else. That even the providential hand of God is over Jesus and his ministry with the disciples. The next little roadblock we see is that the woman is a woman. And we've talked about this before, that in the context, in the first century Middle East, that a woman was not a person of standing. In fact, when the men are gathered together, even the whole of this chapter was Jesus meeting with Pharisees and scribes, would have been men, with the disciples, those 12 disciples, men. And here they're gathered, the, Jesus and his disciples in a house, and, and a woman comes in. Not only so is there the obstacle of cross purposes, there is the obstacle of, in that culture, in that context, the wrong gender. We're told that the woman is a Gentile, that she's a Greek, which means that she lacks pedigree. She's not a, a, a child of Abraham. She's not a child of the covenant. She's outside of that, lacks pedigree. And then we're also told that the woman is a Syrophoenician. What does that mean? That it means that the land of Phoenicia was being administered 
by Syria at the time, so she is a Syrophoenician. What does that mean for our context? Why is that a roadblock? You know, there was one time during the time of King David and King Solomon where there was a good relationship between Tyre and the people of God. But over the centuries, that soured and went south. It just did not go well. And so Jezebel, if you remember the story of Jezebel, uh, the wife of Ahab, Jezebel brought the pagan ways of Tyre into the land uh, of, of Israel. And it really worked toward the undoing of the northern kingdom. We also know during the Maccabean Revolt, some 150 years before the time of Jesus, that um, uh, Tyre took the opposing position to Israel. Uh, there's bad blood. We have these obstacles. But the woman doesn't let any one of them deter her. She comes in and moves toward Jesus. You know, as if these roadblocks weren't enough, it turns out that Jesus responds to her with a parable. So let's do this. Let's take a quick look at the exchange between Jesus and the woman. Take a quick look at the exchange between Jesus and the woman. Here's what Jesus says to her. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. A roadblock. Especially if you happen to have been one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples really struggled with his parables. In fact, if we were to read the whole of the chapter, we would find just in that passage right before our section that Jesus gives his disciples a parable. He, he's teaching them about this whole subject of defilement and he goes, you know, it's not what goes into a person that defiles him, but it's what comes out of the uh, of the person. And they asked him, they asked him, what does this mean? And, and he goes, and you also lack understanding? It happened to them time and time again. Jesus would speak in parables and they just wouldn't have a clue. But she's not one of those disciples. What Jesus does is he gives the woman a household picture Remember, they're in a house. She's come into this house, and he gives her a household picture. We can imagine a table and, and the children and, and a mom or a dad wanting to give bread to the children. And in this parable, then, we know that the children would stand for the Jews, that, 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 the, Jews, that the Messiah has come for the Jews, and, and that the dogs are the non-Jews, the non-children. There was this uh, mission trip I went on uh, to Romania. It was uh, just a, a, a year or two after the fall of Ceausescu. Um, uh, and um, so we were in Georgiou, Romania, south of Bucharest. And our first night, we stayed in this, this high-rise motel. The, the ride up the elevator is another story all by itself. It, it, it was a little frightening. Uh, but there I'm lying in my room, and it's late at night, and all I hear all night long are the dogs of Georgiou. These mongrel mutts that run around the community just barking and howling. 
One of the days I was in the market and there was this mongrel mutt, this dog, that had a, uh, a skull in its head. I think it was like a sheep skull. Or, um, but it, there was just enough of a ligament or a tendon or something on it to where he could hold on to that one little piece and drag it around wherever he went. In the time of Jesus, to call somebody a dog was a great insult. But Jesus uses a slightly different word here. He uses the diminutive version of that word. He says, listen, you don't take the bread from the children and give it to the little puppy underneath the table. You don't give the the bread that's meant for the children and give it to that little dog that's inside the house. There's this passage in Isaiah Isaiah 49, verse 6. So we know that Jesus, being the Messiah, comes into this world. Jesus has a sense, has clarity. We can look at a bunch of different places. He has clarity as to what his mission is in this world. We know that in Isaiah, that when there's this messianic prophecy, this expectation, hundreds of years before the arrival of Christ, that part of that expectation was this. And God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Did you hear that? That in God's plan, the Messiah when he comes would not just be coming just for God's own children, just for the people of the, of the, first co- the Mosaic covenant. He would be coming for the people of the nations. More than likely. We can, it's a pretty safe assumption that this woman doesn't know that verse. But she knows something of the story of Jesus. And she knows clearly her desperation. And so she hears these words from Jesus, this parable about children and dogs and bread. And she responds. She's undaunted in her focus on pursuing Jesus for the healing she so desires. And she says to him, yes, Lord. By the way, the word yes is in the ESV. I think it's also in the NIV and the, uh, maybe in the NRSV, but it's not in the best manuscripts. So the today's New International Version has a better reading on this and just Lord, just Lord. Those are the things just always, it's interesting to pay attention to as to which manuscripts were paying, were that be able to speak in clearly for us. For her, it's simply that she says, Sir, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table, even the puppies, even the small dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Don't you love this? She gets the picture. She gets what Jesus was saying. It wasn't lost on her. And she completed that. She builds it. Yes, I get it. You feed the children the bread, but even the dogs, even the puppies, they get to eat the crumbs. She knew. Somehow she knew. She knew what it would take Peter some time to still figure out. Peter, this, this uh, lead disciple, that, one of the main leaders of the early church, we don't, we don't get clarity in him until later in Acts. And, and I don't want to read too much into the woman's uh, understanding here. She, she may not have been able to articulate it this way, but we know that Peter did not get this until God revealed it to him in a vision. And then the Spirit led him to talk to Cornelius. And, and finally in Acts 
Acts chapter uh, 10, verses 34 and 35. Then finally, uh, Peter says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This woman, undaunted in her reaching out to Jesus, somehow she knew. And Jesus says to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. All right, then, let's take a quick assessment. Let's make a quick assessment of the devotion or the connection, the pursuit that the woman demonstrated. I'm calling this uh, undaunted devotion. It's a quality. The quality of the devotion is that it, it, it doesn't give up. Undone, undaunted, what a great word. It means courageously resolute, especially in the face of danger or difficulty. Courageously resolute. You figure all those obstacles, all those ways, all those things that stood in her way. If that was the quality, I think we can also detect a little bit of a strategy. And please, don't mishear me. There, this is descriptive, it's not uh, uh, prescriptive. We're looking at, at s- some actions she chosen and see if we can learn something from it. It's not like this text is, is set up to teach these things. We just look at the story. And we, we look at her story. There are two things that I think she does. The first is this, that she falls at Jesus' feet. You know, to fall at someone's feet is to submit. It's to move from a position of humility to, to embrace humility. It's all about recognition, to recognize the other. And, and to, it's a position of supplication. What a, a wonderful coming to Jesus that she has. She falls at his feet. But we already know that God loves this, that God loves this posture. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's that desperation from below. It's that sense of, my situation so needs you. Your greatness is so needed by me in my position, my lowly position. She falls at Jesus' feet. The other thing she does is she engages Jesus at the level of his heart. She engages Jesus as the level of his heart. Now, she would not be able to quote any of this stuff. It hadn't even been written yet. But we know that John writes that that Jesus said that I am the bread of life. Jesus came to feed the children of God. That 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 the Jews first and then also the Greeks. And she engages at the level of his heart this this giving of a gift to God's creation, his created beings, to fall at his feet, to engage Jesus at the level of his heart. So let's do a quick reflection on the benefits of undaunted devotion. We know that this woman received a healing. And maybe you've been pursuing God consistently for some time for a healing in your life or a healing of someone you love. And we know that God does heal. Maybe sometimes He heals in this world. 
And there are times when he heals in the world to come. We know that God is a healer, the great physician. Yet these are not the only gifts. This is not the only gift that God provides. When we say, I belong, we need to know that it comes with benefits. To belong to Jesus Christ is to receive benefits that are are just beyond full description. There's a a listing, uh, or yeah, a, a listing of some of these benefits in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you go to chapter 1 and take a look at it, but there's this line at the top of that list where he says in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you get that? He's already blessed us. Who has blessed us. And these blessings are ongoing. He has blessed us with every, every, Um, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are these spiritual blessings? Well, we could go to different passages, but let's just list them here. Peace, that peace that passes all understanding, hope, forgiveness, assurance, comfort in affliction, wisdom, grace, love, fellowship with God, a holy calling, endurance, life now and life forevermore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What if our, our, our reception of these gifts was such that they informed and they filled all of our response so that all of our feelings, all of our thoughts, all of our choices, all of our relationships, rather than flowing out of things like pride or envy or lust or greed or any of that kind of stuff, that they would flow out of the benefits, the blessings that are already ours in Jesus Christ. Undaunted devotion, not giving up to obstacles, opens up to us to receiving what is already ours. It doesn't earn it. It's already ours. It's simply that undaunted devotion of remaining courageously resolute even in the midst of difficulty. So, a quick reminder of the way forward. We've talked about these things many times. If we take her, her strategy, if we take the strategy that she used to, to fall at Jesus' feet, to engage Him at the level of His heart, that what a great way to go about the very standard things that we've, we've been about. This picture of that I'm not here to have Jesus meet me at my level. I'm here... Knowing, I know God's going to come and reach us, absolutely. But I engage Jesus as desperation from below. I fall at his feet. And then I engage him at the level of his heart, consistently. We're going to be using a book later this year as part of uh, our uh, learning process. We're going to build sermons around the texts that are mentioned in the book. And we'll use it in our small group and life group. Life, uh, um, the, the Good and Beautiful God is the name of the book. But at the beginning of the book, the author, as others have explained before, there's a real difference between uh, trying and training. And I think you already know the difference, that, that if you say, I'm going to try to swim to a full length of the pool, that's just going to, I'm going to jump in and give it a shot. That's trying. Training is to show up and, 
and swim a little bit one day and maybe swim a little bit more the next day and swim a little bit more the next day so that you don't just swim one length of the pool, but before long, you're swimming multiple lengths and you're doing it with ease and it grows, it becomes first nature of being in the water. The difference between training and trying. And so when we think about a, a way forward to fall at Jesus' feet and to engage him at the level of his heart, here are four common exercises. We've talked about them. But maybe we've just been about trying them and not training in them. We think of prayer and scripture and community and mission. And so to fall at Jesus' feet in prayer. Like the woman, and, and we know that there can be obstacles. We can, we can be flying through our day. We can be overwhelmed with other things and we're just in desperation. Just, Jesus, take care of this. I'm going to move on and do my other things. But, but hour by hour, half hour by half hour, maybe quarter hour by quarter hour, we fall at Jesus' feet and engage Him at the level of His heart. God, I so want what, what is Your goodness in this situation. In Scripture, we go to Scripture not to master it, but to be mastered by it. We go to Scripture to fall at Jesus' feet and to engage Him at the level of His heart, not just to get knowledge, but that we would know God. We would engage Him at the level of His love. In community that we would not just get together to be an encouragement of just, hey, it's good to have some friends, which is good, it's wonderful, but to have friends that help us go to the feet of Jesus, to have friends that help us to know where the level of God's heart is. And the same in mission, that we don't just do mission, but we meet God at His feet in mission and we engage Him at the level of His heart. All this is that we might receive the benefits. We do these things that we might receive the benefits, not to earn them because they're already ours. Are there going to be roadblocks? You bet there are. Are there going to be obstacles? Absolutely. And yet we can remain courageously resolute in our dedication. I am so glad we made our way to Jubilee State Park. It's wonderful. It's a treat. And here in this picture, this picture of undaunted devotion, we can be inspired that these wonderful blessings that are already ours are there for us, for us to receive. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this incredible picture of this woman who came to Jesus and for the transaction the, the interaction that took place and that in the midst of all the moving of history that this one little picture of a woman that would not be held back who fell at Jesus' feet who received a healing for her daughter God, we long for full healing. We long to be like your son, to, to be free of, of all of our sinfulness and all of our brokenness and, and the way we hurt one another and the way we, we fear things around us. And, and so God, may it be that as we fall at your feet and, and we come to you in your love, that you would be working healing in each one of us. 
And God, even this day, if we are discouraged, may you remind us of how willing you are to bless the people you've created. We give you praise, God. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.